Revelation chapter 1. Our text tonight is verses 4 through 8. I'm just going to read that once. Verses 4 through 8. But we'll read it in its context. Beginning at verse 1 of Revelation chapter 1. The revelation of Jesus Christ which God gave unto Him to show unto His servants things which must shortly come to pass. And He sent and signified it by His angel unto His servant John, who bear record of the Word of God and of the testimony of Jesus Christ and of all things that He saw. Blessed is he that readeth, and they that hear the words of this prophecy, and keep those things which are written therein. For the time is at hand. John to the seven churches which are in Asia, grace be unto you, and peace from him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before his throne, and from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth. Unto him that loved us, and washed us from our sins in his own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and his Father, to him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Behold, he cometh with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also which pierced him. And all kindreds of the earth shall wail because of him. Even so, amen. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is and which was and which is to come, the Almighty. I, John, who also am your brother and companion in tribulation and in the kingdom and patience of Jesus Christ, was in the isle that is called Patmos for the word of God and for the testimony of Jesus Christ. I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day and heard behind me a great voice as of a trumpet saying, I am Alpha and Omega, the first and the last. And what thou seest, write in a book, and send it unto the seven churches which are in Asia, unto Ephesus, and unto Smyrna, and unto Pergamos, and unto Thyatira, and unto Sardis, and unto Philadelphia, and unto Laodicea. And I turned to see the voice that spake with me, and being turned, I saw seven golden candlesticks, and in the midst of the seven candlesticks, one like unto the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to the foot, and girt about the paps with a golden girdle. His head and his hairs were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes were as a flame of fire, and his feet like undefined brass, as if they burned in a furnace, and his voice as the sound of many waters. And he had in his right hand seven stars, and out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword, and his countenance was as the sun shineth in his strength. And when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. And he laid his right hand upon me, saying unto me, Fear not, I am the first and the last. I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And have the keys of hell and of death. Write the things which thou hast seen, and the things which are, and the things which shall be hereafter. The mystery of the seven stars which thou sawest in my right hand, and the seven golden candlesticks. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches, and the seven candlesticks which thou sawest are the seven churches. 
The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God shall stand forever. Beloved congregation in our Lord Jesus Christ, we don't usually think of the book of Revelation as a letter or as an epistle, but that is in fact what it is. Just as the Apostle Paul wrote letters to the churches in Rome and Galatia, letters that were read publicly to the congregations, so John writes the Apocalypse in the form of a letter to seven Churches located in Asia Minor, or what is modern-day Turkey. You should picture congregations much like this one, therefore. A gathering of believers with their children. A pastor holding a scroll written with John's handwriting upon it. Reading out the words that are contained in this letter, in this apocalypse, as the people listen. Like all letters written to the church, this one also begins with a greeting and a benediction. A benediction is a pronouncement of blessing. A benediction is more than a wish. A benediction is even more than a prayer. A benediction is a declaration. It is a declaration that comes on the authority of the triune God who always and only speaks the truth. And this is what that triune God says to His church. Grace be unto you and peace. That makes this benediction a very powerful and a very personal Word of God to us, beloved. God is speaking to you. God is speaking to you. He's speaking with every bit as much power as when He spoke the first word in the beginning. And there was light. He is speaking to you with every bit as much authority as when Mount Sinai was quaking and trembling and smoking with fire. He is speaking to you directly. He is speaking to you personally to everyone who believes the power of His Word. He's speaking to you Are you listening? This is what God says. Grace be unto you and peace. And how we need to hear that benediction, beloved, as we live in the last days. We know dreadful things are coming because the Word of God, this very book of Revelation foretells that dreadful things are coming in the world and for the church in particular. The trumpets that blast announcing and heralding the coming of the Lord also unleash plagues and devastation on the earth. It is always through much tribulation, through persecution, that we must enter into the kingdom of God. Dreadful things are coming. We live in the last days. But we can face all of that if we know that this is the benediction that God pronounces and declares on our lives. Grace be unto you and peace from Him which is and which was 
and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne of God, and from Jesus Christ. The same Jesus Christ who is coming, coming for you. And that's what I call our attention to this evening. Benediction from Christ who is coming is the theme for the sermon. First, we will identify the meaning of this benediction, both what the words themselves mean, grace be unto you and peace, but also the meaning of those words as they come from the person who declares them to us, the triune God. Secondly, the certainty of that benediction that is declared unto us and how the coming again of Jesus Christ establishes the certainty of grace and peace upon God's people. And then finally, the calling that this text places on our lives. Behold, behold, He cometh. Benediction from Christ who is coming. First, the meaning. Secondly, the certainty. Finally, the calling. This benediction in our text comes to us from the triune God. It is, first of all, according to verse 4, from Him which is and which was and which is to come. Now you could say on the one hand that that phrase, Him which is and which was and which is to come, is talking about the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, that is, the triune God. About all three persons in the Godhead, we can say He is He which is and which was and which is to come. That is why Jesus claims this designation for Himself at the end of the text in verse 8 when He says, I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending. That's the Lord speaking. The Lord which is and which was and which is to come. The Almighty. The benediction comes from Almighty God who created and who upholds all things by His Word and who breathes out life by His Spirit. The benediction comes to us, therefore, from the God who is eternally blessed in Himself because eternally He is the covenant God, three in one. The benediction comes to us from the God who is a Father blessing His Son always with peace and who is a Son blessing His Father always with grace and a Spirit who is always proceeding from the Father and the Son with grace and peace. And now that triune God says to you and to all who believe in Jesus Christ, grace be unto you and peace. On the other hand, it is appropriate to find in that phrase a reference more specifically to the person of the Father. The Father is Him which is and which was and which is to come. The Father is, according to our confession of faith, the source of all things visible and invisible, and therefore He is the source also of this benediction. From deep within the heart of the Father, the same Father who eternally begets the Son out of His own being, comes this blessing to all His children whom He sovereignly claims in love, in election, and adopts them through the blood of the cross. Out of the heart of that Father comes this benediction, grace be unto you, and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come. 
Let that thought marinate in your soul, beloved, for a while. As you think on these things, the Father, the Father out of whom comes all things, the Father out of whom comes the being of His Son eternally, blesses you with grace and peace. The benediction comes also, according to verse 4, from the seven spirits which are before His throne. Now we're going to have to get used to the number seven if we're going to make any progress in the book of Revelation because the number seven comes up often in this book. You probably know that the number seven is a symbolic number of the covenant. You may also know that the number seven is a, is a number that speaks of completion. And these two ideas go together. Seven is biblical shorthand, especially in the book of Revelation, that stands for the completion of God's covenant purposes. The completion of God's covenant purposes. Why that is, goes back to the very first week of history. God was acting as the covenant God when He created the heavens and the earth in six days. And then God signified the completion of His covenant purpose in creation when He rested on the seventh day. Seven is Sabbath. Seven is rest. God's rest. And God's rest with His people and the enjoyment of the fruits of His covenant work. We're going to be returning to this idea as we go. But for now, just know that seven stands for the completion of God's covenant purpose. And that helps us to explain why the text speaks of the seven spirits which are before the throne of God. To understand what is going on here, you have to look ahead in the chapter where you will find Jesus Christ in His exaltation standing among seven candlesticks. Now John the Apostle was an old man by the time he wrote this, but as a younger man he had visited that temple that was in the city of Jerusalem. And every time he went there, he would have looked through the front door. And there in the temple he would have seen a golden candlestick. And this golden candlestick had seven branches, each of which had a flame protruding from it, which was fed by oil in a single vessel. And that oil in the Old Testament was symbolic of the Spirit of the Lord who gives light and warmth and life to His people in the house of God. Now by the time John wrote down the words of the apocalypse, the the temple had been destroyed and that golden candlestick had been carried off to Rome as plunder. But the seven spirits who give light and warmth and life to the people of God, of which that golden candlestick in the old temple had been a type, those seven spirits are still before the throne of God. There are seven of them, not because the Holy Spirit is divided into seven persons, but there are seven of them because this is the fullness of the Spirit who has been poured out on the church by the exalted Jesus Christ. 
These seven spirits are the oil that feeds the flame that is burning in the seven golden candlesticks that are in the seven churches. And at the same time, these seven spirits are the one spirit of the Lord. And that has to be the case. Because these seven spirits proclaim the benediction, the divine benediction. The benediction that only comes from the one God with His one Spirit. The seven spirits, which is the Holy Spirit of God, the fullness of the Spirit as it proceeds from the risen and exalted Jesus Christ, along with the Father which is and which was and which is to come, proclaims unto the church the benediction, grace be unto you and peace. That's really how the benediction is able to reach us in the first place, you understand. It reaches us through that candlestick that Jesus Christ has planted in the church. The seven spirits are before the throne of God, but they are in the church. The local congregation, that is. The local congregation that bears the marks of the true church and gives light and blessing to God's people through the preaching of the gospel and through the other means of grace. God speaks to you. He is speaking to you. The Spirit is speaking to you. And He proclaims the blessing of the triune God upon you. Grace be unto you and peace. From Him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits which are before His throne and, verse 5, from Jesus Christ. That is from Jesus Christ who speaks to us as the visible representative of the triune God. He is, according to verse 5, the faithful witness, or in the Greek, the martyr. The faithful martyr. The martyr who is so faithful that when he came to do God's will, he did not stop in his execution of God's will, even though his life was on the line. He laid down his life to carry out God's will and thus showed himself to be the faithful witness, the faithful Martyr, the faithful prophet who declares unto God's people, grace be unto you and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness and the first begotten of the dead. First begotten in the sense of being the firstborn. The firstborn who has conquered death and having conquered death has entered into His inheritance who lives even now in heaven and acts as our advocate and as our intercessor before His Father who sanctifies and consecrates us so that we are kings and priests along with Him. But He as the high priest and as the high priest He declares unto us the benediction, grace be unto you and peace from Jesus Christ who is the prince of the kings of the earth according to verse 5. The prince of the kings of the earth, that is, king of kings and lord of lords, the one to whom all earthly kings will answer one day for the way they executed their offices while on earth, the one who sits in the heavens and laughs as the rulers of this world take counsel together against him, saying, let us break his counsel and throw off his yoke, the king who is your king, the king who fights for you, the king who defends you, from all evil, 
As God's appointed king, he declares unto you the benediction, grace be unto you, and peace. That benediction comes to us from Jesus Christ who loved us. That benediction comes to us from Jesus Christ who washed us from our sins in his own blood. Think about that. His own blood. That benediction comes to us from Jesus Christ, whose Father is the God which is and which was and which is to come. The benediction comes to us from Jesus Christ, who stands among the seven candlesticks which shed forth the light and warmth of the seven spirits. The benediction comes to us from Jesus Christ, who is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last, who Himself is the one which is and which was and which is to come. The benediction comes to us from that same Jesus Christ who one day will come back in the clouds and every eye will see Him, including those who pierced Him. The benediction comes to us from that Jesus Christ at whose coming all the nations of the earth will wail because of Him. That Jesus Christ declares to the seven churches representing His complete and beloved bride, to which you belong, grace be unto you, and peace from Him which is, and which was, and which is to come, and from the seven spirits which are before the throne of God, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the first begotten of the dead, the prince of the kings of the earth, grace be unto you, and peace. Grace. You know what it's like when it's been cloudy for days on end. And your soul begins to sink because of the oppressive gray. You know that very well because that's been our experience for the last several weeks. We also know what it's like when those clouds begin to part a bit and you see a patch of blue sky and maybe a little ray of sunshine coming through. And then they part some more and you can feel the warmth of the sun on your skin. And oh, how that cheers your soul. Well, that's like grace. Except grace is not the sun shining on you, enlightening your outward eyes, and giving you warmth on your skin. But grace is when the face of the glorious God shines upon you. You know what the old benediction is. Jehovah bless you and keep you. Jehovah make His face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. Jehovah, lift up the light of His countenance upon you and give you peace. This benediction isn't saying anything new. It's saying what God's people had been hearing for ages upon ages from the high priest. But now it comes from Him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits and from Jesus Christ, the faithful high priest. Grace be unto you. The word grace itself means beauty. 
The amazing thing about that is that there is no beauty to be found in us, is there? This book of Revelation is going to go on to describe these seven churches for us. Seven churches full of defects. Seven churches covered in warts, covered in problems. Ugly churches in many respects. Churches unfaithful to Jesus Christ in many respects. Churches with false teachers in them. Proud churches. Loose churches. Careless churches. Churches that have been beaten up and broken down. Churches that are at their wits end because they're facing persecution. But of course, that's exactly why this word of benediction is so important to those churches. Grace unto you. You need it. Oh, how you need it. You have no sunshine in yourself. You have no light, no warmth in yourself. You need the face of God to shine on you, and it does. It does. Not on all, of course. Not on all men, head for head, of course. Not on the beast who rises out of the sea. Not on the false prophet who will be cast into the lake of fire and brimstone along with that beast. Grace does not shine on the wicked who receive the mark of the beast in their foreheads. Grace does not shine upon those who will wail when Jesus Christ returns again. Grace is not on that wicked Jezebel who is in the church in the visible church, who teaches the church heresy and fornication and wickedness. Grace is not on the followers of Jezebel who give heed to her doctrine, but on everyone whom Jesus Christ loves, on everyone whom Jesus Christ washes in His own blood, on everyone whom Jesus Christ calls out of this world as kings and priests unto God. Grace be unto you. The beauty of Jehovah God be upon you. That's true. And peace. That's the effect when grace is unto you. That's the effect when the heavenly face of God shines upon you and blesses you. Then you have peace. Peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Peace because you are reconciled to that God. Peace because that God is your God and you know Him as your God and He knows you as His child. Then you have no need to wail and to mourn as Christ returns in the clouds bringing judgment on this fallen world. Then you have no need to fear when it is your lot to face tribulation in the earth. Then you can sing. You can sing when peace like a river attendeth my way or when sorrow like sea billows roll. Whatever my lot, Thou hast taught me to say it is well. It is well with my soul. I have peace. And these are not merely words, beloved. The triune God which pronounces this benediction over you is the God who speaks and it is done. 
He is the God who commands and it stands fast. His word is power to everyone who believes. Not because they believe, but his word is power to everyone who believes. Power to impart grace. Power to impart peace. And so it is to you. Whatever fears may be clouding your mind today, whatever besetting sins you may be wrestling with in your life, hear the benediction of God and of Christ who is coming. Grace be unto you and peace. That such a benediction could be certain is challenged. Challenged by the enemies of God. It was challenged in the days when Jesus Christ was walking on this earth by those who took Him and pierced Him. Now the piercing of Jesus Christ was motivated by more than one motivation. It was motivated by the envy of the scribes and Pharisees who wanted to get rid of this upstart Jesus and remove Him from their way. It was motivated by the greed of Judas Iscariot who loved money more than he loved the Lord. It was motivated by the cowardice of Pontius Pilate who feared for his own skin more than he feared God. It was motivated by the fickleness of the people who welcomed Jesus one day with cries of Hosanna only to turn on him and cry out, crucify him, crucify him the next day. It was motivated by the cruelty and the love of violence of the Roman soldiers who took him, stretched his arms out, and ran the nails through his hands and feet. It was motivated by the malice and the pride and the folly of that old serpent called the devil and Satan. There was a whole cocktail of motivations, we might say, that drove about this, this wicked deed of the piercing of Jesus Christ. But at bottom, you might say, it was motivated by one thing. And that one thing was this. Not from you. No grace and no peace from you, Jesus. Not from you. We don't want it. We don't want the kind of grace that would identify us as ugly sinners who need to be washed, which is the only kind of grace that you give. We don't want the kind of peace that reconciles us to God, but then leaves us in a world where we must face tribulation for a time, which is the only kind of peace that you give. And whatever it is, whether it be grace or peace, blessing or benediction, whatever it is, we don't want it from you. We want you out of our way, out of our life. We want you dead. Those two things are related, you see. Piercing the Lord was not merely a spontaneous act of murder that arose out of sudden and violent passions in human beings. The piercing of the Lord was a calculated act of rejection of Him and everything that He came to bring. It was a calculated act of rejection of His blessings of grace and peace as well. It was a calculated act of rejection 
that such blessings could be possible, that such blessings could be good, especially coming from this one, this man, this person. We don't want it. The certainty of the benediction has been and continues to be challenged to this day by all the kindreds of the earth. It wasn't only those who had a direct hand in piercing him who challenged and rejected the benediction that comes from Christ. It wasn't only the devil whose malice drove the whole thing to its bloody conclusion who challenges the benediction from Christ. It wasn't only Judas Iscariot or Pilate or all the others who were there at the time. It's everyone who hears the gospel of Christ with its benediction of grace and peace and then rejects it. It's everyone who grows up hearing the gospel only to walk away from that gospel with unbelief in their heart. The writer to the Hebrews says that such people who hear the gospel and seem to embrace it, only to reject it, crucify to themselves the Son of God afresh and put Him to an open shame. That's Hebrews 6, verse 6. Their rejection of the Gospel is as if they had been the ones who were there crying, crucify Him, crucify Him, as if they themselves were the scribes and the Pharisees who arrested Him and brought Him to the judgment hall. And this was something that would have been very familiar to the church in the days when John wrote these words. There were those who sat in those seven churches in Asia Minor who heard this benediction and walked away from it. And they were not only Jews, but they were those from all the kindreds of the earth. And that's the way it's been through all of church history as well. As the gospel has been proclaimed in every nation, tribe, and kindred among men, as all kinds of people, both men and women, young and old, rich and poor, have heard at least outwardly the benediction of the gospel declared and the calling connected to that benediction. That benediction has been rejected by many. And that's a challenge. That's opposition. It's a challenge that says, that's ridiculous. That's absurd. Grace and peace from God Grace and peace from Jesus Christ. There is no such thing. And there is no future return of this person, Jesus Christ, who was dead and buried long ago, and there he remains. He remains. Where's the promise of his coming? For since the fathers fell asleep, all things continue as they have from the beginning. That's a challenge. Unbelief and a refusal to repent is a challenge against the validity and certainty of this benediction of grace and peace. But despite this massive challenge, challenge which can feel quite imposing to the little Christian living in the world today, challenge that can feel quite imposing to the Christian young person perhaps who goes to college and hears very intelligent People scoffing at her faith. A challenge that can feel imposing 
to the little believer of Jesus Christ who is every day surrounded by millions and millions of people who do not believe in Jesus Christ and who do not believe that He is coming again. It's an imposing challenge, but despite the imposing nature of that challenge, the validity of this benediction pronounced from this text is certain. It's certain because it is connected to the coming again of Jesus Christ in the clouds of heaven. Behold, He cometh! The text declares, Behold, He comes! Jesus Christ, which is and which was and which is to come, who is the Alpha and Omega, who pronounces this blessing on everyone who believes He's coming again. And it's not just that He's coming so that at the end of all things you will finally see Him visibly coming, although that's true. There will be a day when everyone looks up and sees the Son of Man on the clouds. That will include all the kindreds of the nations who heard the Gospel only to reject it. That will include Pontius Pilate. That will include Judas Iscariot. That will include the scribes and the Pharisees who had a hand in piercing Jesus Christ. That will include all men, including those who died before this time, but will be called up from the grave. All will see Him. And the future coming of that day stands as a warning. It stands as a warning to everyone who scoffs at the Word of God that proclaims that He's coming again. It's a warning to everyone who believes, or or, or rather who lives in unbelief and refuses to walk in repentance and faith. To everyone who rejects the Gospel, there's a warning. He's coming! Whether you say so or not, He is coming! And when He comes, all who rejected Him will wail. Wail in fear and terror. They will cry to the mountains to fall on them and to hide them from His dreadful coming. Do not scoff at the coming of Christ. Do not shrug your shoulders at the benediction of grace and peace from this coming Christ. Rather, let your heart be soft and hear Him speak to you today and believe His Word. Then you have nothing to fear when He comes. Then you have grace and peace today and always. But it's not only that He will come one day, It's also that He is always coming. And that's why it's so foolish to scoff. That's why it's so foolish to turn your face away in rejection of the benediction of God. For He is coming! And He's not coming unannounced. He's not coming without warning. He's coming with many signs and many heralds. He's coming as the trumpets are blasting. He's coming as the things foretold in Scripture are fulfilling before our very eyes. He's coming, always He's coming. Coming before the watching eyes of the world, whether they're paying attention to it or not, He is coming. It was so foolish and wicked to pierce Christ. Why? Because it was so very clear that He was exactly who He said He was. They took and they pierced the one who had walked on water. They took and they pierced the one who had preached 
with the authority of God, and they heard that note of authority in his voice. They took and and they pierced the one whom they saw multiplying loaves with his hands, who had changed water to wine, who had raised Lazarus from the dead. They pierced him knowing full well who he was, for all the signs made it clear. And all the signs in the world today also make it clear. He's coming. And His coming is as certain as the next earthquake that you hear about in the news or the next tsunami that wreaks devastation on some island. The certainty of His coming is as certain as the next war you hear about in the news. He's coming. And though this is dreadful news for all who scoff and all who live in unbelief and all who refuse to repent, it is good news, beloved, to you. It is good news to everyone who believes. It is good news because it establishes the validity and the certainty of this benediction of God that is pronounced over you. Grace be unto you and peace. Grace is unto you and peace is certainly yours. It's that certain. The benediction of God is on your life and you may know this absolutely. For behold, He cometh with the clouds. He is Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, the one which is and which was and which is to come. And He is your Christ who loves you, who washed you from your sins in His own blood. The calling of the text then, first of all, is simply this. Behold. Behold. Look. Watch. Be awake. Be alert. Pay attention. Behold, He's coming. He's coming with grace. He's coming with peace. He's coming to fulfill all of the blessings of God in your life. He's coming. Watch. Do you do that, beloved? Are you watching? Are you awake? Are you paying attention? Or are you too absorbed in the things on your television screen? Too absorbed in the contours of your career? Not that it's wrong to watch television. Not that it's wrong to pay attention to your career. Martin Luther once said, even if he knew for sure Jesus was coming tomorrow, he would still plant a tree today because a Christian has a vocation and a calling in this life. 
But as you are busy with the daily matters of life, as you are busy caring for your family, as you are busy working, as you are busy studying in school, as you are busy attending to your employees and your business, as your head lifted up, as you are making plans for vacation this summer, are you thinking about the fact that Jesus is coming and that more important than the rest you receive on vacation in the summertime is the grace and the peace that the coming of Jesus Christ promises to everyone who believes. Behold, He comes. Are you watching? Are you paying attention? Are you alert? But the calling is not only to watch for His coming in the future. The calling is very firmly rooted in the present. And that calling is to glorify Him. There's a doxology in this text. In verses 5 and 6. Unto Him that loved us and washed us, from our sins in His own blood, and hath made us kings and priests unto God and His Father. To Him be glory, to Him be dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Now John does not mean for us to read that, only to nod our heads and say, yes, we agree, that's true, that should happen. No, John means for us to take those words in our own hearts. And to take those words on our own lips. And to take those words all throughout our lives. So that our whole confession, our whole life, is a sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving to this God. To Him be glory. To Him be dominion. Yes. Yes. That's what I live for. That's what I stand for. That's what I'm thinking about as I'm living in the last days, watching for His return. Unto Him be glory. Unto Him be dominion. Him who loved me, who washed me with His own blood, who made me a king and a priest, glorify Him. He's worthy. Worthy is the Lamb. Worthy is that Christ who's coming. You do that, beloved, first of all, when you live in repentance and faith. You do that, first of all, when you reject the scoffing attitude of this world. You do that when you say, grace and peace from Him which is and which was and which is to come and from the seven spirits and from Jesus Christ. That's all I need. That's all I want. If I have nothing at all, if I'm lying in a dungeon somewhere in the darkness, but I have grace and peace from the eternal God, if I have that, well then I'm a happy man. A happy woman, a happy boy, a happy girl. 
You glorify Him, beloved, when out of a true faith you embrace the benediction that your God pronounces over you. And you live every day as if that's true. Oh, it can be dark and cloudy outside. And our souls can feel so oppressed by the lack of sunshine. But the grace of God shines upon me. And he's coming. A day is coming when those clouds are going to part. And I'm going to see the Son of Man coming down from heaven, out, coming down from God, coming for me. I believe that. Do you believe that? What a wonderful thing. Glorify Him then. Worship Him. Live in repentance. Live in faith. Live not for yourself. Live for His glory. Unto Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. World without end. Amen. Let's pray. Our Father who art in heaven, It's so simple and yet so profound. This blessing that thou hast pronounced over us in which thou dost call us to believe. We pray that by the Spirit that lives within us, who works and kindles a true faith in our hearts, that we may embrace that blessing and that benediction and that we may live every day as if it is true that thy glorious face shines upon us and that we have peace and that we may live every day as if that's true because it is true and that knowing the truth of it we may keep our heads lifted up expecting his return not fearing what may happen to us in this life or answering our fears with the promises of the gospel and of the certainty that thy blessing is upon us. Forgive us when we have doubted. Forgive us when we have lived in fear. Forgive us when hope has been so small in our hearts. Let it be great. Let it be magnified that we may look up and expect his return. Come, Lord Jesus, yea, come quickly.